listening to a podcast of Elam Lutheran Church in Osakis, Minnesota. Our passion is to be an oasis of life-giving water where lost and wandering souls can find eternal refreshment. For more information and to find out more about our ministries, please visit osakiselamchurch.com. Or if you're in the area, come visit us in person. Our text for this morning's message comes from the Gospel of Luke. It's going to be chapter 19, verses 28 through 40. Luke 19, verses 28 through 40, and I'll ask you to rise for the reading of God's Word. It goes like this, beginning at verse 28. After Jesus had said this, he went up on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethpage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? Say, The Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it, just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, Its owners asked them, Why are you untying the colt? They replied, The Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your word to us this morning. God, we thank you that we don't have to to search to find a word from you, but Whenever we open up the Scriptures, God, You are there, You are speaking, You are living and active, and I pray that You would do Your work upon each heart here this morning. God, You know in what condition You find us. You know which of us are broken. God, You know which of us are joyful. You know who is mourning. You know who is weeping. God, You know our needs better than we know ourselves. I pray that You would meet those needs here today. And Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. You may be seated. There's a book series and a movie called The Lord of the Rings. By the way, if I haven't mentioned this before, uh, every Sunday you want to bring your Bible in all three volumes of your Lord of the Rings trilogy with you, right? So there's this film called Lord of the Rings, Return of the King is the last volume in this set. And there's a kingdom of Gondor, and Gondor is the good kingdom, right? These are kind of the the good guys in the story. And Gondor, for many years, it's been ruled by stewards who are these people put in place 
uh, temporarily to, to watch over the city, to keep it, to protect it. But they're only meant to be there temporarily until the real king arrives. And it's been hundreds and hundreds of years since they've had an actual king, like a, a real true king of Gondor. And so the stewards have been, have been keeping it and they, they've been waiting. And Gondor is right next to this land called Mordor. And Mordor is where the bad guys are, right? So they're continually having to fight to keep the forces of Mordor at bay. And there's an epic battle, this whole book series is, is, is kind of a, it's, it's going toward this climax, toward the end of the book, when there's this, this huge battle between the forces of good, the forces of Gondor, and the forces of Mordor, the forces of, of evil. And what the evil forces, the forces of Mordor, the forces of Sauron, what they do not know is that the true king has returned. His name is Aragorn. Many of the good people don't even know that he is a true king, but he is descended from the ancient line of kings. And Aragorn comes in order to defeat the forces of darkness. And so he rallies the troops. He, he marches forward with his sword. And all of these different races of, of men and elves and, and dwarves, they, they come together because the true king has Come, the true king has arrived, and he is going to destroy the forces of evil. So they march out on kind of like a, uh, a battlefield, essentially, is, is, is how they win the victory. And this is kind of the default way we view kings or earthly rulers, is that in order for them to be a king, they have to come out on a, on a war horse, with a, with a shield, maybe literally, maybe metaphorically, but it's this, this attitude of, of combat, right? If, if you're going to win, you've got to defeat your enemy. You have to destroy everyone that's in your path. So we, we think of the, the great leaders of the world, for example. You think of people like Julius Caesar, right? You think of uh, someone as, you know, as, as terrible as, as the things he brought about were. Someone like Adolf Hitler, uh, we think of someone like Alexander the Great. How did they get their power? How did they arrive at the spot where they were ruling these, these vast forces? Well, they basically conquered all of the, the forces underneath them, right? They came out with all the strength and might and power. This is what we think a king should do. So what do we do with this? What do we do with this donkey king? <laughs> king Jesus who doesn't ride into Jerusalem on a war horse, but on a donkey, humble and lowly. What, what in the world are, are we supposed to do with this? Because it grates against our preconceptions of who a king is and how he should rule. Many of you are probably somewhat familiar, at least, with, with the Palm Sunday story. Jesus is approaching Jerusalem from the east, and if you know anything about Jerusalem, it's on, a, it's on a hill. So they're approaching Jerusalem from the east. This is Jesus and his disciples, right? And he sends a couple of his, his disciples to go away and to, uh, to get a, a small colt, the, the foal of, of a donkey. And they, they approach the owner, and they say, our master needs it. He gets the, gets the donkey, and Jesus 
is riding on this donkey, and as they, they approach Jerusalem, when you come from the east, uh, you actually hit, before you get to Jerusalem, you hit a bigger hill, the Mount of Olives. And so as they make their, their, crest, their way up the Mount of Olives and they come over the crest, they've just passed the villages of, of Bethpage and Bethany, just kind of these, these small little towns. But as they, they crest that hill, Jerusalem comes into view. And you know the scene that happens there. We have the crowds just with these palm branches waving and, and excited and people laying down their, down their coats for in a gesture of, of humility because the king has come. He has, he has arrived. So you can just imagine kind of the, the excitement that must have gone with this thing. We might maybe compare it to, in a sense, a, a modern day political rally of, of sorts. And what was going on here? Well, they were enthroning Jesus as king. First off, it says in the gospel, it says they set Jesus upon the donkey. In, in a similar vein, you might set a king upon a throne, right? There's also the, uh, the palm branches. These are basically these nationalistic kind of symbols of, of Israel that they would, they would wave. So maybe you picture like a 4th of July type thing where people have all their American flags out or, or something like that. And so they've got the, the palm branches, they're, they're waving out as, as symbols of, of military and might and strength of, of Jerusalem. And Jesus comes in on this donkey, which seems like a bizarre thing to us, but when you turn back to the Old Testament, to the book of Zechariah, chapter 9, verses 9 through 10 it actually gives this prophecy, Zechariah 9, 9 through 10. It says, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. So what Jesus is doing is he's fulfilling a prophecy that was made long ago that Jerusalem's king was going to come to them on a donkey. And you can picture this crowd here, right? Basically what they want Jesus to do, what they are expecting Jesus to do is to make Jerusalem great again. Not the mega hats, but the MJGA hats. Right? So they're all there with their make Jerusalem great again hats. They want political might. They want authority. They want him to come in and overthrow the Romans so that they can have the power. We've got to reclaim our power, reclaim our authority. Might, strength, right? This is what we expect of a king. This is what we expect of a ruler. And we get a guy on a donkey? I don't know about you, but that makes me a little uncomfortable when Jesus does this. Like, I want someone with, with strength and with power and someone who can reclaim that authority in a very clear and in a very strong kind of way, right? So someone coming in in weakness and humility what are we supposed to do with that? It makes me uncomfortable. 
one New Testament scholar, he, he says this, and I think this is very insightful. He says, in a day when Christians in America are increasingly in a crusade, in a crusading posture to capture more political, social, and economic power, the picture of Jesus riding into Jerusalem on a lowly donkey and anticipating intense opposition, rejection, and death makes us rather uneasy. I can identify with that, right? It makes us uneasy. We have this fear, I think, sometimes as, as Christians. We have this fear that the world is being stolen from us. And that the forces against us are, are, making, are making us go to the fringes so that we no longer have this position of authority and power in society and, and, anymore. And so our answer to that is we think, okay, we've got to get back into this position of power and authority. We need to reclaim what was lost. We need to go on a, on a kind of crusade, right? We need to get public prayer back in the schools. We need to get the, the Ten Commandments back front and center we need to get a, a Christian in the White House. You see, what, what all of these are, the, all of these things spring from a, from a mentality, from a posture of being a warrior. They spring from a posture of wanting to fight and wanting to win and wanting to reclaim what was ours? You see, we, much like the crowd in Jesus' day, as he entered Jerusalem, we expect Jesus to come back and to reinstate Christianity as being this cultural force, this cultural power that maybe 40, 50 years ago, it seemed like it was, perhaps. But Jesus isn't too interested in our expectations, is he? He comes not in might, not in strength. He doesn't even come to die as a warrior. He comes to Jerusalem to die as a martyr. See, that's why he was there. All throughout the Gospels, when Jerusalem is mentioned, Jesus is, is heading toward there. He's heading toward Jerusalem. And he's, he's looking ahead toward his death because what is Jesus' mission? He came here to die. He came to die. And he walked into Jerusalem that day knowing that that was where he was headed. Why? Because in order for him to bring peace to the world, he had to fall on his own sword for us. For you and for me. There's another scene in Return of the King it's toward the, toward the end. That there's this big epic battle. But then after that battle, many of the forces of good have been defeated. Many of the bad forces have as well. 
Uh, but what the good forces do is, is King Aragorn, he marshals them and he leads them up to the Black Gate. It's kind of just this, this ragtag band of, of people, all that's, all that's left. And there, there's not a lot there, right? There's not a lot of might. There's not, not a lot of strength. And as they go, they pretty much know that there's a good chance they're not coming back from this. They're basically willing to sacrifice themselves in order to give more time for Frodo and Sam, who have the ring, to take that and to drop it into Mount Doom. And that will end all of the badness and that will restore the, the world to the way that it should be. And so they're willing, essentially, to be the sacrificial lamb in order that the world might be saved. And there's a quote here from this book that I want to read to you. Here, here's, here's what it says. This is so good. They say, we must push Sauron, that's the bad guy, we must push him to his last throw, we must march out to meet him at once. We must make ourselves the bait. Though his jaws should close in on us, we must walk open-eyed into that trap with courage but small hope for ourselves. For it may well prove that we ourselves shall not live to see a new age. See, that's what Jesus did on that day in Jerusalem. He knew he was walking into the jaws of death. Jesus was fully human, but he was fully God. He knew what his purpose was. There was no doubt in his mind. He was willing to go into the jaws of death and to allow them to close in over him in order to win the victory over Satan, death, and sin. Colossians 1, 19 through 20. <clears throat> says this, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. That, that's Jesus Christ. He was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Jesus Christ and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. See, this is what Jesus does. Is as our king, he comes to make peace. Not by defeating, not in victory, not in conquering on a war horse. But in humility, in death, and dying on a cross. See, his ways are counter to the way that we generally think we are called to operate but this is our king, and this is the way that this victory will be won. So as we close out our time today, I want you to, to say this with me. This is, this is our, from our, our text this morning. And in the Gospel of Luke, they don't really talk about palm branches, but this is a, another way that the crowd expresses its, its joy and its excitement at Jesus coming. So does anybody out there still have your palm branches? I want you to wave these palm branches in the air. And guys, imagine that you're there in Jerusalem on that day 2,000 years ago. Imagine the, the excitement that's there. Wave your palm branches. And I want you to say this like it's your, your, the last thing you've ever said, okay? So say this with me. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Amen. 
Hey friends, Pastor Luke here. Thanks so much for tuning in. I trust that you've been blessed by our message from God's Word today. Hey, we'd love to connect with you more. If you have comments or questions, you can email me directly at pastorchellog at gmail.com. That's Pastor K J O L H A U G at gmail.com. As we wrap up our time together today, please receive this benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you his peace. Amen.